evening. If we have come up a little short, we apologize about that. We felt like we had ordered enough, but we'll be no problem to add to that for next uh, week. But if you don't mind, if you if we're a little short, if you'll try to share. Um, Larry has an extra one over here. So if you have an extra one, that would be helpful. What I want to do as we get ready here, uh, go through uh, some of this booklet, I want to kind of give an introduction. Um, This booklet, uh, and and there'll be others like it, uh, will be giving a survey uh, of the Bible. So this is, as we touch on different uh, subjects and different parts of history in the Bible, uh, we're not going to be looking at an in-depth study uh, in each of these periods, but given a, a survey, which is very helpful because it, it helps us see the big picture in the Bible. And that's, that's what the world needs, is what we need to be sure that we are seeing as we study the Bible. But it's one of the first things the world needs, and the people who are not as familiar with the gospel, uh, that's, what, um, that's what the world needs. Okay. Um, so, I don't know why the screen went black there. Um, okay, so. Uh, there we go. Okay. Um, so, also, as we were just singing, uh, these types of studies are very helpful in, in helping us to be grounded. Uh, the Bible speaks in Colossians 1.23 of being rooted and grounded uh, in the gospel. That's, that's what uh, is needed sorely uh, in the brotherhood, in the church, um, among us. I need it. I, I need to be rooted and grounded in my Lord. So I, I love going back and, and reviewing and, and relearning a lot of God's Word. Uh, this morning, you know, uh, Elijah was speaking of uh, the Christian journey. The Christian journey begins when you come out of the, the waters of baptism. And you've got to be ready for this journey. You've got to, uh, you've got to have your, your bags packed. You've got to have your suitcase packed. And this is, we've got to be packed with knowledge of God. And these booklets will certainly help us uh, in that way as well. Anytime that we are uh, studying together at church, it is a cooperative effort. Um, we seek to be prepared and to prepare things for uh, everyone, but also uh, the listeners, the, the audience, must be participating. This, this booklet hopefully will help us to uh, participate. And then uh, we, we need more in-depth uh, study. We need we need more uh, more than just um, what I call freely sermons. Freely sermons have their place, I suppose, when when uh, we're tired and just need a little dose of of, of Bible learning. But uh, what what really grounds us is uh, just actually learning the Bible over and over again. And so we we need to take and we need to work at this. Um, the learning God and learning Scripture is work. It's it's um, you know Paul speaks of it in Second Timothy two fifteen a, a workman that does not need to be ashamed. Solomon said that much study is a weariness of the flesh, and so we can't expect to be filled with God unless we put the work in it. 
This is, these booklets also help, of course, that we can take these home. I encourage you to take it home and then go over this again and again. We're going to have to fly through um, these lessons together just to go over them. But um, you can take your own time at home and you can really do a great job at learning and relearning. I'm going to start on number five, uh, two or three pages in, paragraph number five. Okay, uh, Paragraph numbers five through eight are kind of introduction to uh, our studies, and then we'll get right into um, the rest of it. Number five, the Bible tells us that we, we will live forever even after death. John 5, 28 and 29. Jesus said, all that are in the tombs will hear my voice and shall come forth. They have done good unto the resurrection of life. They have done evil to a resurrection of condemnation. The Bible is the only book that reveals where man comes from, reveals his purpose on earth, and what he is to believe and do to live with God eternally. As you read the Bible, you can, per- you can be perfectly confident that every event and every person referred to in the Bible is in perfect harmony with secular uh, history. Even the topographical and geographical references to rivers and lakes and physical terrains and the distances uh, between cities and so forth are absolutely correct. Give yourself a chance to know uh, the word of life. Give yourself, to know the, give yourself a chance to know the book of life. I love Paul's reference in Philippians 2, 15 and 16 where he says, As, as children of light, we are to be holding forth the word of life. The Bible is the word of life. Number six, um, notice that although about 40 different men of varying backgrounds, uh, caste and cultures had a part in writing the Bible over a period of 1,600 years, it contains a remarkable unity of message and harmony of purpose. This harmony is no accident. These writers were guided by the divine Wisdom. Therefore, the Bible is the mind of God in human language. That's a great way to sum it up. The Bible is the mind of God in human language. Second Peter 1, 21. No prophecy of Scripture ever came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And Paul also adds to this in Galatians 1, 11 and 12. He says, Brothers, I want you to know my preaching did not come by man, neither was I taught it by man, but my preaching came from the revelation of Jesus Christ. It was revealed to Paul uh, directly. So notice that reference in Galatians 1, 11, and 12. Uh, there's a chart here that shows that the Bible is actually, actually a library of 66 books. The top three shelves represent the 39 books of the Old Testament. The bottom shelf represents the 27 books of the New Testament. Both Testaments are very important to a Christian, but the New Testament is our guide. It is, it is our rule for our lives uh, today. For example, when a person desires to become a Christian, he can read the New Testament book of Acts, uh, in which examples of conversions conversions are uh, recorded. Now notice number eight here. Three periods of Bible history are implied in Romans 5. Romans 5. You remember Romans 5, verse 12, through one man's sin entered into the world and death through sin. And that death became a physical death because they were taken away from the tree of life, but also a spiritual death because they were separated uh, from God. Well, what he says here in Romans 5, he goes on to say that this kind of death reigned from, from Adam to Moses and then from Moses to Christ. And finally, Christ came and he offered himself as the free gift 
of God. And an actual remedy for sin was given through Christ. But implied there are these three ages of history. Uh, Adam to Moses, Moses to Christ, and now everybody who is alive lives under the system of Jesus Christ. Uh, we know that Hebrews uh, 1, 1 and 2 says that in times past, in many different ways and in many different uh, times, God spoken to the fathers by the prophets, but has uh, in these last days spoken unto us uh, through his Son. So it's Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. John 1, 17, remember uh, the scripture there says that uh, the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came uh, through Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 2.15, remember, Paul says that we need to be rightly dividing the word of truth. Give our diligence, give our very best effort to study the scriptures, rightly dividing the word of truth. So turning the page here, uh, on the notice, paragraph number 9, that gets us started on the patriarchal age. Okay? And there are several segments under the patriarchal age. There is uh, creation, there is the Garden of Eden, uh, there is sacrifice for sin. Uh, there is the wickedness of man on earth. And then there is the great flood. Uh, after the great flood, flood, we're introduced to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And then from there, God's people become slaves in the land of Egypt. And then we're introduced to the life of Moses. And then through Moses, God delivers his people out of that bondage of Egypt. That pretty much takes care of the uh, patriarchal age. We will strive to maybe get through the, uh, the flood tonight. We won't have time to get through um, all of the patriarchal age uh, this evening. Let's get started here. Paragraph number 10. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1 verse 1. Uh, the first verse of the Bible tells that God is the creator. In fact, each of these phrases has a, a basis or creates a foundation for scientific fact. You've got... Um, You've got time, force, uh, energy, space, and matter. In the, in the beginning is your time. God is your force. Um, creation or created is your energy. Uh, created the heavens, there's your space. Created the earth, there's your matter. The foundation of, of life is built on uh, the first verse of the Bible. And so in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, paragraph uh, number 11. At first the earth was a shapeless mass as suggested by uh, Genesis 1 verse 2. The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God commanded, let there be light. This is the first recorded command of God. So if you were teaching a class, you would say, uh, that will probably be on the test because that's an interesting thing to think about. It's a very important fact. Let there be light is the first command of God that we read about in the Bible. Okay, number 12. At God's word, light came into existence. We know, we know that light is necessary to sustain life. The creation of light before life illustrates the fact that God created all things in logical order. This is true not only in the physical sense, but also in the spiritual sense. To have spiritual life, you first got to have spiritual light. And of course, Jesus is that light. John 8, verse 12. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And of course, not only is Jesus the light, 
that leads to spiritual life, but so is the gospel. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, you'll remember this. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they cannot see the light of the gospel when it dawns upon them. That's why the devil works so hard to blind the minds of the unbelieving. Because he knows if the light of the gospel ever dawns upon them, then his work is in trouble. You go on down to 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 6. Paul goes on to say, He who said, let light shine out of darkness, is also the one who shines his light in our hearts through the light of the knowledge of of the glorious God. In other words, the light that comes into our heart, the light that comes into our souls, is the light of the knowledge of God. And so you've got to have light to have spiritual life. And that light is found in Jesus and his uh, gospel. So that's number 12. Uh, Number 13, God then said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. Genesis 1 verse 9, God called the dry land earth, and he called the bodies of waters uh, sea. The earth was now prepared for plant life. Number 14, next God spoke, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields uh, fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself. Every living thing was first created by miracle. This is important. I have this underlined in mind. Every living thing was first created by miracle, full grown, and able to reproduce after its kind. But after the miracle, but after the miracle creation, reproduction followed according to God's natural laws. Though begun by miracle, God's creation is sustained by constant natural law. And what God put in place there also follows in the spiritual sense. It took a miracle to bring Adam and Eve to the earth. It took a miracle for the universe to get here. But now things are sustained by natural law. Uh, The seed between man and woman produces children. The seed into the earth uh, produces uh, plants. And and, and then seed in animals produces other animals. So in the spiritual sense, think about it. When the Lord brought the, ch- the church to the earth. There were, there were a lot of miracles to confirm the word that was being spoken. A lot of miracles. So when God created the church and brought it to the earth, it was surrounded by miracles. But God didn't mean for those miracles to continue. But rather, the church would be sustained. The church would re- be reprodu- reproduced by the seed. And what is the seed? Of course, it is the gospel. Jesus said in Luke 8, 11, 12, that the word of God is the seed. And so we, we assist God or we work together with God uh, in the church and building the church by sowing the seed of uh, the kingdom. So that's number, um, number 14. Number 15, the Bible says, Then God uh, made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also, Genesis 1, 16. And now number paragraph uh, 16, fish and other sea creatures and fowls of the air were next in order of creation, the Bible says. So God created the great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the uh, waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. God saw what he made, and he saw that it was good. Genesis 1, uh, 21. Next page. 
Uh, number 17, land animals were uh, created next. So God ordered this. Genesis 1:24 and 25. Uh, Let the earth bring forth the living creatures according to its kind. A cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so, and God ordered it this way. Number, paragraph 18. Having prepared the earth for man's home, complete with plant and animal life for his welfare, God then said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Since God is spirit, his offspring is also spirit being. Man's fleshly body is only the temporary house of the spiritual man, or soul, which is destined to live forever. Therefore, man, made in God's image, was God's highest creation on earth. He is far different from all other creatures. When God the Father said, let us make man, he was speaking to the other two personalities of the Godhead, that is, Christ, the Son, or Christ the Word, and the Holy Spirit, who were coexistent with him from eternity. God made man ruler over all his creation when he said, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, Genesis 1, uh, 26. One of those references there, Hebrews 12, 9 and 10, speaks of, of God being the father of spirits, showing that man is made not just of flesh and bones, but also within his earthly house, within his physical house, there is a spirit, there is a soul. Okay. Number 19, at first, uh, Adam was the only human being, but God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. So God made Eve a wife and companion for Adam. Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And then God decreed, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Genesis 2, 23 and 24. Later Jesus used the record of this original marriage of one man to one woman as God's definition of marriage for all time. So notice that in number 19. So, with number 19 there, that is the first part of the patriarchal age, creation. creation. Second part of the patriarchal age is the Garden of Eden. So let's read about that for a couple of minutes. The Garden of Eden was God's special home for Adam and Eve. God provided the garden because of his great love. It was a paradise on earth. God also gave Adam and Eve the ability to make a choice. He placed among all the trees one tree of which they were not to eat. God said, For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Genesis 2, 17. Death always involves a separation. Paragraph 21. While in the beautiful garden, God's children enjoyed a perfect home. In addition, they could eat of the tree of life and all the other trees except one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But Satan told Eve that if she ate of the forbidden tree, she would not die, as God had said. He promised her that instead she would become wise just like God. Believing Satan's lies, Eve ate the forbidden fruit and then shared it with her husband. Instead of becoming wise, they became ashamed. They tried to hide from God because they knew that they had sinned. In the Bible, the word sin always means disobedience to God's will. Number 22. 
Of course, up there in 21, you notice that reference, 1 John 3, verse 4, sin is a transgression of God's law. Number 22, because of their sin, Adam and Eve lost their paradise home. And they lost their close fellowship with God, and they lost their right to the tree of life. God had warned them also of death, a word involving separation. Spiritual death means separation from God and eternal doom to their souls. Separation from the tree of life meant the beginning of physical death. But the loving Heavenly Father did not leave His wayward children without hope. Without hope. Number 22. Pronouncing a curse upon the devil, God said, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Genesis 3.15 Centuries later, Jesus, born of a woman, Galatians 4 verse 4, was crucified for our sins. In this way, the devil bruised Jesus' heel. That is, he gave him a minor injury. But in rising from the dead, Jesus bruised the serpent's head. That is, he gave the devil a crushing blow from which he can never recover. Jesus proved that we too may overcome death through him. By the way, one reference there, Hebrews 2 verse 14, Jesus took on flesh and blood that he through death might destroy the power of the devil. He might destroy the one who had the power of death, that is the devil. So when Jesus took on flesh, he through his death destroyed the power of the devil. It's Hebrews 2.14. Notice then the second part of the patriarchal age involves the Garden of Eden, and Adam and Eve, and their sin. Now, the third part of the patriarchal age here is called sacrifice for sin. Let's read about that beginning in number 24 here. Sacrifice for sin now became necessary for Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had turned their backs on their father. They of themselves could never pay the price for their sin. Mankind was forever doomed. But again, God showed his compassion for man by providing that animals could be sacrificed to atone for sin. God was just. God was righteous in making this arrangement because he knew that Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, would eventually be offered to pay the full price for all sin. Think about this passage in Hebrews 9, 13 and 14. Brother Rogers was, lit, was reading some of this this morning at the Lord's communion. Remember what it says, though, in Hebrews 9, 13. It says, if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer were good enough to provide uh, sanctification and purification of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Jesus, who, through the eternal Spirit, offered himself without blemish unto God, and through the blood of Jesus, our conscience can be purified from dead works, can be cleansed from death, dead works, in order that we might be able to serve a living God. There's so much packed in that passage. Hebrews 9 is just beautiful, beautiful. I want you to remember this. When God created the heavens and the earth, the Godhead was involved. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And notice here, Hebrews 9 is talking about the creation of the forgiveness of sin, the creation of the church. Notice how 
All three are involved. Jesus, through the eternal spirit, offered himself without blemish unto God. That is, God the Father. God truly loves us. And it says that through the blood of Jesus, we can have a cleansing of our conscience. That cleansing of the conscience comes when we submit to his will. Remember what Peter says in 1 Peter 3.21, the light figure whereunto even baptism does also now save us, not the putting away the filth of the flesh, but the appeal to God for a good conscience. Indeed, the blood of Jesus can bring that clear conscience, but we must submit to his will to make it happen. So remember that. Notice here in Hebrews 9.14 that this cleansing creates within us the ability to serve the living God. I just love that. We are, we are saved to serve. And if we had time, we'd just, we'd just stop right there and preach for about an hour. But let's move on. Uh, number 24, talking about the sacrifice for sin. Number 25, also under the heading of sacrifice for sin. Number 25, in keeping with God's earlier command to fill the earth, Adam and Eve began their family. They had many children, two of whom were Cain and Abel. Cain grew up to be a farmer, Abel he grew up and became a shepherd. Number 26. In the course of time, Cain and Abel offered sacrifices to God. By faith, Abel offered a lamb. He received God's approval. But God did not have regard for Cain and his offering of the fruit of the ground. Instead of being sorry and repenting, Cain became very angry. And ultimately, he killed his own brother. Cain and Abel are examples of two kinds of worshipers. Number one, those who worship by faith according to God's instructions. And number two, those who worship but not in keeping with God's will. God approves of worship only when man worships as he directs. God will not accept man's substitutes. We know that uh, over in Colossians 2, 23, Paul speaks of something that's not good. He calls it will worship, W-I-L-L, will worship. That is, man sometimes will worship according to his own will and not according to uh, God's will. And so we keep that in mind. Cain and Abel are excellent examples of, of righteous worship and then that which is not correct. So notice here that one of the things mentioned under the patriarchal age is sacrifice for sin. Man cannot atone for his own uh, sins. Interesting that you might think about. Back in Genesis 3.21, when Adam and Eve recognized that they had sinned and they saw that they were naked, they took some leaves and tried to cover themselves. Well, Genesis 3.21 says that God made them coats of skins to cover them. Okay. And you would get those coats of skins, of course, from animals. So it's very, very, very likely that when Adam and Eve sinned, sacrifice of animals for sin began. Because when you, when you go right into Genesis 4 and you read about the command to worship by animal sacrifice, offering a lamb, offering an animal for sacrifice, then it's clear that God had already instituted uh, animal sacrifice for sin. And so notice there through number 26, uh, 26 there's a sacrifice uh, for sin. Starting with number 27, uh, there's a discussion of how wicked man becomes in the earth, 27 and 28. Notice this. Wickedness soon began to fill the earth. 
as the population grew, wickedness multiplied. The devil was dominating the lives of practically all the people. Number 28, justice, love, and mercy soon disappeared. From ruler to peasant, the people became so corrupt that even their thoughts and imaginations were dominated by sin and violence. As God saw those who were made in his image, now under the control of Satan, it grieved him in his heart, Genesis 6, 5 and 6. I was reminded that when Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem for the, for the final time, we say, before the cross, that he stopped and he wept audibly. He wept loud where people could hear him. And he was observing the sin and the hypocrisy that was so dominating, dominating in that sacred city of uh, those days in, in Jerusalem. So God is very much grieved when man uh, sins. That is something for us to always uh, bear in mind. It should motivate us to try to stay away from, from any sin as best as we can. The next part of the patriarchal age study is, of course, the Great Flood. And let's read these paragraphs uh, together. Number 29. The flood was the means devised by God to cleanse the earth of wicked people. Mankind then would have another opportunity to serve God uh, in righteousness. Number 30. Noah and his family were the only people who still obeyed God. God chose to tell Noah about the coming flood. He also gave him instructions to build a great boat or ark of gopher wood. The lifespan of early Bible characters was long. And Noah had the opportunity to preach to his generation for a great many years while building the ark. God was showing love and mercy even to these wicked people by allowing them time to repent, to hear the message of Noah and to repent and change their lives before the flood came. Can anybody remember how long Noah lived? Total years Noah lived. At the end of Genesis 9, you look and see, check me on this, see if it's 950 years. 950. And I think it says right there that after the flood, Noah lived 350 years. It's close to that. Something close to that. But indeed, Noah preached a long time and God was showing his love and mercy and giving folks uh, ample opportunity, space, and time to repent. But only Noah and his family obeyed. Even though only a few obeyed, that did not mean that what was being said by God was not right. Just because a majority did not obey doesn't mean the majority were right. God is still right no matter who or how many obey. We remember Jesus saying in Matthew 7, 13 and 14 when he talked about the straight and narrow way and only a few there are that find it. We keep that in mind. Noah is a good illustration of that principle. Uh, paragraph number 31, the Apostle Peter later referred to God's patience and mercy in 1 Peter 3, 20 and 21, when the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing 
wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved through water, which also after a true likeness doth now save us, and that is baptism. As we've said many times, it's a great, it's a great way of looking at it. How did Noah and his family come from a wicked, sinful environment into a brand new world? It was the water. It was through the water that they got from that evil world to a brand new world. And so just like that, there's water in the plan today. The baptismal waters bring us from a wicked, sinful condition into a brand new condition uh, with Christ. As 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away, all things have become new. And so, again, this is, this is great. These are great thoughts for our, even our day uh, today. Number 32, when the time came to board the ark, Noah followed God's command to bring his family and pairs of various kinds of animals into the ark. He had previously stored provisions for them in the ark, just as God told him to do. That was interesting how God said, you know, store up some food for your journey here and all these animals. Look at that closely if you want to in Genesis 6, 20 and 21 is the command uh, there. In the next page, uh, top of page, next page, number 33, everyone else had rejected Noah's warnings. In rejecting these warnings, they were also rejecting God's love. Therefore, when God shut the door of the giant boat, no man could open it. The flood rose to the tops of the mountains. The day of God's mercy was gone. The wickedness of the wicked had sealed their own fate. Those who were not saved could blame no one else but themselves. In this same way, people are disregarding God's warnings of today that he will destroy the earth by fire. So notice number 34, quotation from 2 Peter 3. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which, in the which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are therein will be burned up. And that's from 2 Peter 3, 9 and 10. As Noah warned his generation that the earth would be destroyed by water, so the Bible warns us today that the earth will be destroyed by fire. Number 35, Noah's ark was lifted high above the land by the waters of the flood. The same waters that destroyed the wicked and cleansed the earth, also served to save those who were in the ark, just as those who were saved then were in God's ark. Today, those who are saved are in God's spiritual house, God's spiritual family, the church. After 150 days, the waters, the waters of the flood began slowly to subside. Finally, the waters receded, and the ark rested on Mount Ararat, Make sure that as you read through this, and especially as you are reading through these lessons with someone else, you have 
uh, verses like Ephesians 5, 23 here, uh, right beside number 35, because it says that Jesus is the Savior of the body, Ephesians 5, 23. Of course, the book of Ephesians uh, clearly says that the body of Christ is the church. And so when, when someone is saved from their sins through the blood of Jesus and through obedience to the gospel, God adds him uh, to the church. So that's why the saved are in the church, which is God's house. That's number uh, 35. And then number 36. Having spent more than a year on the ark, Noah, his family, and all the animals stepped out on dry land. Noah offered an animal sacrifice in worship to God. God placed the rainbow in the sky as a sign of his promise that never again would he destroy the earth with water. However, however, at the end of time, he will destroy the earth um, by fire. And so that brings us down to uh, Abraham, which will be the next uh, part of the patriarchal age lesson. But we'll let that uh, get us to where we need to be uh, this evening. Appreciate you very much reading through this uh, together. But also, uh, appreciate your interest in taking these booklets home and becoming very, very familiar with this uh, material, uh, so so familiar that you would just be anxious to share this with other people. If you want to know why the church was growing back in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s, it's because of these types of lessons. It wasn't just a simple question Do you think you're lost? If you do, then you need to be baptized. No, if someone had an interest in the Lord, it started right here in the patriarchal age, and they worked through this. One booklet, and then next booklet, and next booklet, all the way through five different booklets. When a person obeyed the gospel, they they not only were ready, without a doubt, to be immersed in water for their mission of sins. They were ready to be a servant of Christ. And they had already went a long way. They, they had already traveled a long way toward being, toward being rooted and grounded in the faith. And so this is one of the reasons why uh, the elders here wanted us to go through these types of studies. Because um, there is no substitute uh, for... Uh, are all of us being uh, grounded and walking and living on that firm uh, foundation. Notice here uh, toward the last part of our lesson that when Noah and his family went into the ark, it says that God shut the door. And when God shut the door, no man could open it. One of the sad realities of our life is that there are folks saying that when God shuts the door, I think I can provide you a way in anyway. In other words, like we read in 1 Peter 4, 17. Right after Peter has said, 
If any man suffers a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this name. And then Peter says, well, the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if judgment first begins at us, what shall be the end of them who obey not the gospel? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, then where shall the ungodly and the unrighteous appear? What's going to happen to them? But notice, we have no right to offer someone or give someone hope of salvation who do not obey the gospel. We have no right to open a door that God has shut. But also, uh, interestingly, Elijah referred to Jesus' parable this morning from Matthew 25, 1-13, through 13, concerning the, the wise and foolish virgins. Of course, the wise virgins had their lamps uh, with oil, and they were prepared for the coming of the bridegroom. And when he came, the foolish ones went away to try to get oil. And when he came, the wise virgins went in with the bridegroom and shut the door. And then the foolish ones came back and tried to get in, and they couldn't get in. We must prepare now. We must be ready to meet the Lord at every part in life, at every opportunity, in every uh, aspect of life. Anytime the Lord may come. We don't know when the Lord's going to come. We do know when He comes that He will destroy the world by fire. We will meet Him in the air. And then judgment will take place. We want to be ready and we want to help other people to be ready for that great day. So this evening may be that standing before God, thinking of you and God, thinking of standing before God, uh, you may seriously reflect and maybe think of something or, or, or think that maybe I'm just not as faithful as I, I want to be. Maybe I'm just not as zealous for the Lord as I once was. Or maybe that you're ready, having studied many of these matters already, maybe you're ready to put Jesus on in baptism. We want you to know the Lord's invitation is open to anyone who has a need for the Lord. And, and we invite you to come right now as we stand together. Brother James, as we sing. <laughs>